What I want to do here today, before I get into the Word of God, I want to talk to you from my heart. Sometimes I do that. I just want to just talk to you about things that's going on. There's been a lot of things happening in the news this week. And uh, I, as you well know, uh, Sister Johnson, my daughter, is the principal of Anderson Elementary School in Rockledge. Have 700 students and about 100 employees in that school. And, uh, and I pray for her every day. Every day I pray for her. And I pray for that all the staff and I pray for all the, the cafeteria people and all the custodians and for all the children and all the teachers. I do. I do that. I do that on a regular basis because there's some crazy things going on in America today that I don't know. There's no rhyme or reason for it. People are just getting whacked out. If we think that children can just grow up with osmosis and grow up and be good citizens, I think we're wrong. They really need to be taught. They need to be taught about Christ. They need to be taught about the love of Jesus and Christian concepts and so forth. And uh, this has always been a strength that we've had that we're losing now in America. We had the same thing that, that happened now with this big shooting, you know, I've gone out in Texas now. And uh, Brother John Johnson, who is uh, my son-in-law, who is the, he is the assistant principal at Cocoa High School. And uh, I pray for John, I pray for you every day, and I pray for your school as well and everything. The Bible says to pray for our children and pray that the angels be encamped around about them. I don't fully understand about how that all is, but the Bible talks about it in several places. And you can pray for your children. And many of you, of course, are grandparents in here. Pray for your grandchildren. And uh, just, if no one else, pray for the children of this church. Just pray, you know, that God will keep his hand on those children. And uh, young people, it seems like teenagers and everything, is, this is where they're getting hit the most. In Florida, was 18 children were shot and killed, 18 people. And uh, out in Texas now, there's been 10 dead and 10 seriously wounded, or 10 wounded, I guess is the word. Anyhow, and it, and it seems like it's been one crazy thing after another. You know, that's just the last few recent ones. And I'm just saying all of that to say that these things cause us to realize that we need to be a prayed people. This is not a time for us to relax and just coast as Christians, but it's a time that we need to pray. Uh, I have a certain ritual of prayer. Uh, Sister Myers has a booklet called how to pray, and I use it a lot myself. The Lord's Prayer put into a systematic way of prayer. We also was taught by pastor how to use the tabernacle as a, as a channel for prayer as well. And uh, I try to do that because I feel like that this is a day and age that we need to know uh, not only how to pray, but to pray and to call on the Lord. And uh, I have a, a, a way, I have a sister that passed away about three years ago. And uh, I pray for her children on her behalf, her children, my nieces and nephews. And uh, I told one of them not long ago, he called me, we talked and everything. I said, I want you to know I'm praying for you and your brothers and sisters because your mother's not here to pray for you. And, I'm, and I want you to know I'm praying for you. Now he, he texts me once in a while, thank you for your, the prayers and so forth. I'm just trying to tell you here, folks, that we need to make this a very important thing in our lives. 
We need to pray for our schools. We need to pray for our children and pray for our young people. But these are crazy times, a lot of crazy things that are happening. And that was all on the news this week. I'm going to talk to you about another thing that was on the news and then talk about some things that were under the radar. And one of the things also on the news early part of this past week was uh, the United States recognizing Jerusalem as uh, the, um, as the uh, headquarters for Israel. Now, this has been opposed for years and years by the Arab world because they want to keep Jerusalem an international city, they call it. In other words, Jerusalem is, if you go to Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem, it's broken up into parts. Part of it is Arab, part of it is, 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 is Israeli, a part of it is Christian, and I think there's another fourth part of it that's a, that's a Macedonian uh, Christian element. And so they've got these different elements uh, in Jerusalem. And uh, everybody seems like they sort of get along, but they, they, uh, they're always looking at each other funny, you know, that kind of a thing. And so Jerusalem is a funny place. But on the Israeli part of it, which seems to be the part that's growing and expanding the most, uh, Israel has long said Jerusalem is our capital. It has always been. Uh, and so... Nobody else recognized that. And as you know, this past month, our president now has said we, as the United States government, recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Well, that set off a storm. And just this past week, they dedicated the new embassy in Jerusalem, the American embassy, and moved the headquarters from Tel Aviv to there. And it set off a storm of riots and so forth. Of course, the president's being blamed for the riots Actually, it's, it's, it's Hamas, you know, the terrorist group that is among the Palestinians. They are the ones who are provoking all of this. And they even, the press has even criticized a baby being killed. Well, what's a baby doing on the front lines? I mean, who took the baby on the front lines on the Palestinian side? Some, somebody had to take the baby right up on the front line so he could, you know, he could get killed, however shot, whatever it was. Anyhow, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of disturbances. And so we hear about all those kind of things. And I want you to know here that the Bible says in the scriptures that in the last days there'll be wars and rumors of wars. And it says commotions, commotions. So we're going to be hearing about things like this. It's going to continue to get on, go on like that. So as you see these things and read about them, it's going to be a very common thing. Uh, some of the things that sort of going under the radar that I want to mention to you here that's very, very significant. And one of them is that in Iraq, the country of Iraq, uh, they have, the United States government has promoted, pushed this, encouraged this, has set it all up in Iraq so Iraq could follow the democratic process of electing their leaders. And so, well and good. You know, the U.S. has been leader in that democracy. They can choose their own leaders. They can choose who they want to represent them. They've just had, just this past week, they've just had some primaries to the primaries or something. Primaries to the election, I guess it is. And to the American surprise, one of the leading, if not the leading candidate for the leadership of Iraq is very pro-Syrian and very pro-Iranian. In other words, it's like almost anti-American, the, the one who is leading, who is led in the post. 
So that now the U.S. has got to say, we've got to shoulder up and make sure that there's not a hanky-panky going on with this election system, you know, and make sure it's all done legitimately. Because that's it, 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 sort of blindsided the U.S. You never heard very, very, very little about this. This has been a very low-key thing. So I'm just trying to tell you that these things, but what will eventually develop is that Iraq will line up with Syria and with, with uh, Iran so that you have a sweeping group there who stand by the same thing. Uh, I'm going to show you a map here, and I've talked to you about these maps in the past. Uh, let, me, let me find the ones that I want to use here. This is, uh, excuse me for a moment here. I got these things all stuck in here. Uh, and my fingers are a little bit numb. Let me find the right one. All right. This is the one I've shown you before. And uh, this is, I'm going to bring it up a little closer here to us. This is like uh, the, uh, the map of like a little bit of the old Roman Empire, maybe a little bit. And... Uh, the, the white outlining areas, I got number one, number two, number three, number four here. This is how Alexander the Great's empire was broken up. And this is all coming out of the eighth chapter of the book of Daniel. <coughs> and we talked about how that when Alexander the Great died, and this is all significant because out of one of these groups will come the Antichrist. And we talked about that for two or three Sundays. I'm not going to go into that in more in detail here. But these two here are sort of nothing more is mentioned except that when Alexander the Great died, his empire was broken up by four generals and they took segments. This part up here was taken was Greece and Macedonia. This was what we know today as Turkey. And uh, this one down here, number four here, was Egypt. Uh, these two here, the generals named, this was Ptolemy, Ptolemy, General Ptolemy, and this was passed down. There was a, a 12 dynasty rule here that went on for 300 years. And then this one up here with Syria, Syria being over here on the east side, Iraq, as we know it today in the middle, and then Iran over here. This was all one empire together, mini empire, uh, M-I-N-I, mini, uh, that was uh, Seleucius was the general who took that one. And uh, he ruled there. And these two empires battled and fought back and forth, back and forth for 300 years. And Palestine laying right here in the middle where the little area is, is the battleground for it all. We talked about that. And this carries right on over until the end time when you get into the 11th and 12th chapters of Daniel and it coincides with the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation and those kind of things, how that this battle and this war fight goes on back and forth. And Israel is caught in the very middle of it all here and how that Israel, uh, Israel uh, will survive and how they have to survive in the midst of all of that. Now, to help you to understand that, I'm going to show this map. I have a reason for telling you this because what happened there is very, was very, is very significant. This is the same map, only it's a little bit clo closer up. This is Israel where the square is. This is Egypt down here. This is Syria right in here, and it goes out in this way. This is Iraq over here where you see the, the rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris River coming together. All of this is Iraq. 
And then this is Iran over here. This was that media Persian empire that Alexander the Great conquered. And when he did, he conquered everything they had conquered, which is all of this. And so this is a close-up map. Now, uh, I'm going to give you another one here that's even a little closer that shows you where these countries are. And I want you to notice this very closely here. I have a reason for telling you this, so just stay with me on it. If you look at the red line, the black lines represent the ancient empires, the red writings, and the red line represents modern-day boundary lines and countries. If you'll notice here, this is the old Hittite empire, the Hurrians, uh, the, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the media Persian empire is way over here. You saw almost off the chart, and I'm sorry. Let me, let me uh, enlarge this a little bit. That's wrong way, wrong way. There we go, okay. The old, the uh, media Persian empire is over here on, on this side and so forth. Now, here is Syria. If you notice the red line, see the red line? Everybody see the red line? This is modern-day Syria, where it is today. This is Palestine over in here. And uh, this in the middle here from Syria, when you go over, this is Iraq. Iraq is part of this, uh, what is it, brown and part of the red here. But this is Iraq right in through here. And uh, then when you get past this boundary line here, you get over into Persia here. The, the, what's today, which is today is Iran, this ancient Persia, or the old media Persian Empire, as it's called here. So what will eventually happen is that this country of Iran and Syria are very much in harmony with each other. They support each other. They'll strengthen each other. But Iraq lies in the middle, and Iraq, because of the war we fought, the Gulf War we fought, Iraq is sort of committed to the U.S. right now, but what they have free election, and this last election shook everybody up. Because it looks like that if they get that kind of a leader in, he's going to promote uh, Iraq be getting hooked up with Iran and with Syria. And if they ever do, you have this all the way across which is what it was under that old original mini empire that broke up when the Alexander the Great's empire broke up and which fulfills the scriptures in the Bible that talks about the king of the north, the king of the south. The king of the north here is not way off in some distant land. This is Palestine right in, in here. The king of the north here is Syria and the king of the south here is Egypt. And uh, just as they have warred in times past, uh, they talk about how that eventually the man of sin will come out of one of these empires. And when you keep reading the king of the north, king of the north, it's obvious it's the king of the north, which will make it Syria. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that all these things are shaping up. So when, when I read that, I'm thinking, I'm not surprised because my personal belief, and I believe this on the, based on what I, how I understand the scriptures and prophecy, is that Syria... And Iran, who are now friends, that Iraq eventually will, will hook up with them. There's reasons for that. One is the shipment of oil. Iran is a, is, has no oil, but, but Iraq has oil. And if Iraq can hook up with Syria, they can run pipeline across Syria into the Mediterranean here and have a place to export their oil very economically without having to bring it way down here to the Persian Gulf and then bringing it way out around through, you know, South Africa or wherever the Suez Canal, wherever they have to bring it through at. 
This way they can just, they can ship it here and go right here in the, in the, in the Mediterranean Sea and then out into the Atlantic and uh, they can service a lot more countries. So I'm just saying here, there's a lot of advantages here. Another thing that developed this week is that Germany, and I'll talk to you about the European Union in a minute, but Germany is, has made an agreement with Putin this, this week to build a pipeline between Russia. Russia has oil, but Russia is so landlocked. If, and that's why they try to control other countries around them because they're landlocked themselves. If they can get that oil out of Russia and over into Europe, and Germany is their way to do that. And Germany has always opposed it because they've been very in strong alliances with the U.S. And the U.S. says, no, don't hook up with an alliance with Russia. And so this thing has been going on for years and years. But this week, this week, the Germany and, and Putin with Russia has agreed that they're going to build a pipeline and they would build it over into Europe so that Europe can get its oil from Russia and not have to get it from the U.S. or some other way that maybe, uh, or from Saudi Arabia or from one of these other Arab countries. You see what I'm talking about, how things are shaping up here. And uh, this brings us up then to another point that I want to bring out to you here. And that is that this is, this is under the radar thing, is that the European Union nations uh, had a meeting this week. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but they had a big meeting. They all sort of stood in solidarity and it was against the U.S., against the U.S. And the United Nations, which, I mean, the, uh, the European Union, which is those European countries, England is not part of that. Ironically, England is not part of it. I think Switzerland is not part of it. I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's Switzerland. But there's a couple of other countries that's not part of it. But France, uh, Spain, uh, Germany, of, of course, is, is one of the mainstays in it. And even Greece now is part of Italy. They're all part of this European Union. And they have created the Euro, the Euro dollar or the Euro money system, which is a rivalry to the, US, to the American dollar system. And so the European Union has always worked in harmony with the U.S. And their whole system of European Union is modeled after the United States, just like we have the United States of America. And we have been very successful with that system. They have now organized what, back then, the European Union. And uh, it's a very significant thing. Uh, the, the capital of the European Union is, is, is in Brussels, Belgium. Uh, your pastor and I were, uh, had to preach a conference there in Belgium uh, several years ago. So while we were there, I said, let's go to the United Nations. I mean, let's go to the, United Nations, to, the, to the European Union headquarters here. And let's sort of read their documents. He had just finished some of his law school in, uh, in Ireland, where he had been under Scalia, who was the, uh, one of our chief justices. I mean, uh, yeah, chief justice in Washington, he's dead now. But Scalia had been one of his professors. One of his other professors that he had was an Irishman who had helped to create and draft the European Union document and, uh, and, the, and the laws that they have. And he was one of their professors. And so my son, knowing about prophecy, ask him about a few things about it, you know. And he said, is there any clause in the European model here to keep any dictator from ever ruling United Europe together? He said, no, there is none. 
We did not put that. See, in American Constitution, we have we have roadblocks for those things. But in the European Union, they did not have it. He, he said they did not, and he was one of the framers of it. So I'm just telling you that so that when we were in Brussels, Belgium, he was very curious. My son was very curious. We went there. We read. He read. He knows all that legal stuff because he's been in all that law. And he's read all that legal stuff and so forth. It's a very interesting thing. And then he said, Dad, let's go to Luxembourg, uh, Luxembourg City. Luxembourg, which is a small, smaller country than Belgium, that connects Belgium. Let's drive down there. We'll spend the night, and uh, I want to do some research. And I said, all right. We went down there, and this is where they have the euro dollar. This is the headquarters of the euro dollar. We went to the bank where there was the euro headquarters bank there, and we just wanted to go there, read some of their documents, uh, just uh, ask questions, sort of familiarize ourselves with this euro dollar. And we walked into the lobby and we told them, you know, that we were there and we wanted just to sort of see their, you know, place, show us around type thing. You know, we were tours, blah, blah, blah. And they said, wait right here. And they went away and another guy came out and asked us, are you Americans? We said, yes. He said, we're going to ask you to leave the building. This is the truth. This is the truth. Are you Americans? He said, yes. He said, we're going to ask you then to leave the building. We actually had to leave the building and go out and get in our car and drive away because I guess they didn't know what we were there, who, why we were there. And uh, so I guess it was, a, it was a sensitive thing. So I'm just telling you that the European Union, and they met today and they stood in solid solidarity and said that we will function without the U.S. if we have to. I'm just trying to show you and let you know here that things are not always as beautiful as sometimes we think they are. And we are living in a day and time in which the greatness of America and the, the peace of the world may not always hang together. It's not going to always succeed. That's why we need to look at the Bible. And when it speaks about all of these things coming on the earth, and Jesus said, when you shall see this, when you see that, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, you know, look at the thing in Hawaii, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's an earthquake down there that's called a volcano eruptions, you know, I wouldn't live on an island personally, I'd be scared to death, they said, well, some of the people hate to think about having to leave the island, I said, what, you mean with smoke blowing, this? I saw a picture of them playing golf, they're playing golf on that island and that black smoke rolling on the distance and everything, we were down in Guatemala and they had smoking volcanoes down there. And they said, oh, as long as this white smoke is okay, when it turns black, it's time to get out. And uh, how many of you brother went down and worked in Guatemala? Several hands. All right, God bless you. They worked down there on that, that orphanage. But you could look out every morning and see those volcanoes, maybe one or two of them smoking, you know. And it was an uncomfortable feeling for me because I, I didn't grow up with smoking volcanoes, you know, hanging around you, you know, and everything. And... Uh, and so uh, one day I, we looked over there and I said, that one's got black smoke in it. That one's got black smoke. Well, we left and a month later, another group of our men went down. And while they were down there, they left on Friday and came back on Saturday. That volcano erupted and it shut down the airport and the ash, everything. They, they, the people that were there couldn't even get out. They, had to, they were confined to stay there. I'm just trying to tell you here, folks, that we're living in a very precarious time. And the Bible says there should be earthquakes. And it talks about seas roaring, which are tsunamis, tsunamis. Uh, we call them that tsunami. We used to call them tidal waves. Now they call them tsunamis. But anyhow, it's whenever there's an earthquake out in the ocean 
And that starts building and building and those wa- that water, that wave starts coming through the water and it starts building as it comes and everything. And finally, when it hits shore, it's huge and it wipes out everything, I don't know, within miles or half a mile, I don't know, whatever, anything along the coast, it just seems to wipe it out. And as you know, uh, they had, you know, one back, uh, back I think is the 2005 that uh, killed 100,000 people over there in Indonesia. So I'm just, trying to, uh, I'm just trying to tell you here today that we're living in a time and day which Christians like us, we need, I'm going to give you some scriptures in a minute to show you something that God has impressed me with recently. He's impressed me with. I've never looked at it like this before, and I'm going to show you some scripture, just a few. I've only just got some that I want to show and share with you. But I feel like it's a time and day that we as Christians need to be a praying people. We need to call on God we need to seek his face. We need to pray for our families, our children. We need to pray for America. And let me just say this to you. There is an unborn church still out there, right here in Palm Bay in Melbourne. There are people who are looking for God, who is hungry for God, who is searching. They don't go around broadcasting it, but they are worried. They are concerned. They want answers. They don't know where to get answers. And we need to know that they are there. And if they found the right thing, they would say, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I need. Lord, I want to, I want to know you. I want to serve you. Some of you were there just not long ago. If I were to be honest with you, some of you were there yourself. And just like you were there, say, a year or two or three years ago, uh, there are people out there today that's just like that. That's why we need to be very mindful of reaching out to our community, to our city, to our state, to, uh, to everybody that we can. Talk to, talk to them about the Lord. Be mindful of that. I, I walk, as you, some of you know, I walk in the mall as a point of exercise. The mall is always the same temperature. If it's raining, you can walk there. If it's cold, you can walk there. If it's hot, you can walk there. You know, it's not the kind of thing. So I do a little exercise, keep myself exercising, everything. And I've met this guy who is a Jewish fellow. And, uh, and so... Once in a while, I'll, I'll hook up with him there. I'll see him. We'll sit down and chat. He likes to talk with him. He's a Jewish guy. He fought in the uh, Six-Day War in Israel. He fought in that war. Uh, he's, a, he's a Jew. He's a Jew. He's from Canada. And uh, he went over there and fought in that Six-Day War and knows a lot about Israel. And so I've made three trips over there. So I found him very interesting. He's found me interesting. We've talked about, you know, the Jewish situation and the Palestinian situation back and forth and a lot of things like that. And, uh, and the things that I've learned from him about Israel is very interesting. So I'm just pointing out to you here, there's a lot of things going on here, things that's behind the scene. I mentioned to you a while ago about uh, the United States uh, and uh, how the European Union has almost said that if we have to, we'll break from the U.S. and do our own thing our own way. And then the next thing, almost just within days, uh, Germany has signed that agreement with Russia. You know, they have that oil line uh, put through there. Uh, what's also developed this week, surprising me, surprised me, is that this hasn't developed, but this has been developing. The U.S., as most of you know, in this military, has developed new equipment and techniques in fighting war, warfare. And uh, it involves drones and robots, and it's very sophisticated, very advanced, they have drone ships that nobody's on the ship at all. It's just a drone. 
they can, they can control that drone in the sea. They've got planes that has no pilots on them. And they can load them up with bombs and so forth. No pilots, they can control those planes to send them places. There's all kinds of things like this. This is all coming from technology that comes out of Silicon Valley in, in California. Now the CEO of Google has made an announcement that he is against the military using the, the technology that's developed uh, in all of this for warfare equipment or for warfare techniques. They are against that because they said it is used to kill and they don't want to be part of that. And so they are trying to get somehow or another to get the Pentagon not to be able to use electronic knowledge that, that, that is U.S., U.S. American-made stuff to be used in American military. Yet, I'm going to read some things to you in a minute here too about China. Yet, in China, it's a known fact that China is developing uh, these drones like you would not believe. And Russia is developing a robotic army. This is all news. This is all news this week that's come out. Russia is developing a, not, a, not this week, but it, it, a few weeks ago. Russia is developing a robotic army that, uh, that, that they, can, they can just go to war and fight. And there's nobody, nobody this, they're all robots. And Russia is developing this, and it takes all of this computer knowledge. And yet here in America, our, our electronic people are saying to, Russia, to our military leaders, no, no, we can't use it. So America is seeing a lot of upheaval and things going on that worries us who think of our nation being very safe and very secure. Now, I'm going to read an article to you here. This is taken from the Kiplinger letter. Any of you, brethren, are familiar with the Kiplinger letter? Okay, I see, I see several hands. Okay. The Kiplinger letter is a, is a letter that's put out weekly by Knight Kiplinger. It's a, about a three-generation newsletter that's put out every week. It's made for executives and investors primarily. Uh, it's very accurate on news. They tell everything the way it is. They're not, they're not Republican. They're not Democrats. None of that. It's just strictly facts of what they believe, how things are going, and they try to give you sort of an update on what's coming down the road. I'm going to read here, this one here, sort of surprised, but this came out not long ago. And uh, this is one that it covers the whole front page of the Kippinger letter. It's, uh, it looks something like this. And uh, here's, here's what it says. Dear client, China is already an economic juggernaut. Juggernaut is a force that is relentlessly destructive, crushing, and insensitive. That's what a juggernaut is. So China is, an, is, is already an economic juggernaut. Its leaders have an even bigger ambition than just being economically in charge of the world. Uh, uh, that is to make China the world's dominant nation economically and militarily. This is China's objective within 30 years. So China wants to be the world leader economically and militarily in 30 years. That's their goal, and that's what they're, putting, they're trying to do. Uh, Beijing's economic policy has a global political role. Bind both countries to China, other countries to China, through trade to lessen America's global influence. China has plans to plans to spend $1 trillion on its Belt and Road Initiative 
a, com a complex web of highways, railroads, pipelines, and other infrastructures to one day tie together Europe, Africa, the Middle East, and Central Asia with China as, a, as the hub. Many countries are happy to accept cash from Beijing to fund such economic boosting projects. And I know, having been in Africa, I know that a lot of this is showing up in Africa as well. When it comes to many high-tech industries, China intends to become the lead nation in everything from artificial intelligence and aerospace to robotics, supercomputing, and nuclear power. Foreign firms that want to produce in China are forced by the government to team up with Chinese companies and share key intellectual properties. That's knowledge that they have and that Chinese industry does not have, technology and so forth. Excuse me. <coughs> it goes on to say here, uh, they play along because the Chinese market is too big to pass up. This is other countries that get involved. Computer chips are a key target. China depends on outside suppliers for 90% of the chips it uses. <clears throat> but Beijing wants to become the world leader in chip making in everything from raw materials for semiconductors to billion dollar chip making factories. It wants to lure the whole industry to China. The U.S. military is still second to none, but Beijing is catching up fast. Defense Spending is rising by 10% per year in China on everything from jet fighters to satellites. The Navy is a particular priority. Last year, China opened its first naval base in Africa and is building more on the islands it has developed in the South China Sea, a vital waterway for a third of global shipping, third. The plan turned the Indian Ocean and the Western Pacific into a Chinese lake of sorts so it can keep the U.S. out. Ties to smaller regional powers are growing as China holds military exercises with nations such as Thailand and sells arms around the world. And then in brackets, currently China trails only the U.S. and Russia on that front, that is selling arms to other nations, uh, even though it remains a distant third, he goes on to say here. And then there's two paragraphs here that speaks about Washington will not sit idle. Washington is fighting back. Trump's administration is now hooking up with Japan, Austria, and India to, as a counterweight to Chinese naval power. And they're working with these other nations that are trying to do the same. Uh, and also China faces some uh, challenges with uh, mounting debt and so forth. But then it goes on to say and finally conclude, but don't underestimate Beijing's determination. It has the willpower, the patience, and the central planning to attempt to upend today's world order. And this does not come as just a little smear sheet. This is a very respected news, newsletter that comes out uh, in, in America that's been around for, I don't know, 100 years or so. It's been around for many years. Now, I'm telling you all of that, folks, so that you understand that we're living in a very serious world. Now, I want to share something. I've got 10 minutes. I want to share some scriptures with you this morning. Something that God has, has laid on my heart this, this past week. And I feel like I want to share this with you. That it just seemed like my eyes were open to it. I know I've probably come across it from times, but it never impacted me like it did recently. 
And that's to give you and I uh, an assurance that if we will walk with God and serve God, God will take care of his people. Praise the Lord. America may get in trouble, but I want you to know God doesn't get in trouble. God is in control of everything and he knows what's coming down the pike. Now, I read a scripture in the Bible. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read a few scriptures to you here. Uh, I read a scripture here not long ago in, in Genesis, if I can uh, find this verse of scripture. I think it's in Genesis 41, uh, 41 and uh, chapter 41, verse 25. Just one scripture here. I read it today, and this is what caused me to start thinking about all of this. And this is... Uh, Joseph, when he was brought out of prison in Egypt, he was in Egypt, Joseph, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, Jacob, and Joseph. And he was brought out of prison because Pharaoh had, had a couple of dreams that bothered him. He dreamed about these, these cows, good cows, and then bad cows. The bad cows ate up the good cows. And then about the corn, and there was some good corn, and then the bad corn ate up the good corn, and he couldn't figure it all out. And so nobody could understand what the dream is all about. So Joseph came to him with the interpretation of it. Here's what it is. And here's what verse 25. This, I'm just going to read this one verse. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. That is, both these dreams you have it means the same thing. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that God would show man what he is about to do. And today, and this week I read that verse of scripture and it impacted me. I said, God, you can show us what you're going to do. And I started running references and scriptures on this. And to my amazement, the book is full of this, this assurance that whatever comes down the pike, God will let his people know what's coming. Now I want you to know that because there may be times you have to, you will say, God, I need to know what's, what's coming down the pike. I know we got the book of Revelation. I know we got Daniel. And most of us can say, you know, I, I don't understand a whole lot of it. Maybe not, so forth. But what about things that God, here's something where the, and Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dream is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Actually, he didn't show it to Pharaoh. He showed it to Joseph. And Joseph revealed it to Pharaoh because it involved the people of God, which was Jacob and his family to bring them down into Egypt where they'd be safe and looked after by Joseph who could see that they were well fed during this time of famine that was coming on the earth, so forth. And so the same thing with, uh, if I can say so, with Daniel. When Daniel, the, the, dream, the king, and if I can just, uh, if I can show you about Daniel, uh, Daniel had this uh, he was called before, I think it was, uh, let me see if I can find it. I forgot where it is. But Daniel was brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. He saw this image. Nobody could interpret it. And Daniel went before him and said, I'll give you the interpretation. I'll tell you what it means. And he said, the reason you had the dream is because you was wondering what's going to happen after you're gone. You're, you're, an, you're an empire now, the Babylonian empire. What will happen after you're gone? And he said, God has, you know, he's going to show you that through me because God gave me the understanding. You understand what I'm saying? So just like Joseph received the understanding from God to give to, to uh, Pharaoh for Israel, 
So likewise did God give the dream to, to a Gentile king, but he'd give the interpretation, understanding of it, and revealed it all, the secret of it all, to, to Daniel, actually for the benefit of the, of the Israeli people because they were at that time in control by the Babylonians. They were, you know, captured by them. So I'm just trying to tell you here that God, praise the Lord, can let us know what's coming down the pike. And uh, I think that this is a real important issue. Now, I'm going to, I want to read a verse of scripture today. I'm going to read just a few verses. These are just sort of one-liners. This is one found in Deuteronomy 29, 29. And I was never aware that this particular thought and understanding in the scriptures was, was so prevalent until recently. 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. Wow, what a powerful verse that is, the things that are revealed, so that we, we can be assured that God does not keep us in the dark on things, but that he lets us know. Another verse of scripture is one found in Amos. This is one of the, the prophets of the Old Testament. Chapter three, verse seven. Amos 3, chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Notice that. Notice, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but that he reveals his secrets unto the servants, his prophets. So God's not going, he's saying here, God's not going to do anything that he doesn't reveal to his people or his prophets, in this case, first, to let them know what's coming down the pike. Amen. Another one is in Psalms. I'm just showing you here how prevalent this is. And I don't know why I've never seen this in all of my life of reading the Bible. I've never seen it like this. But over here in Psalms chapter 25, verse 14. This is in, uh, in Psalms now. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show them his covenant. The secret of the Lord. You see what I'm talking about? It's worth walking with God just to know what's coming down the pike. And God is not going to do anything without him letting us know. You say, well, Brother Meyer, you can take a you know, scripture and vaguely you know, say that. Yeah, but I'm showing you a lot of scripture here right now. This is what impressed me that there were so many scriptures so that I don't have to say, well, I wonder if that means or if I wonder if that is or whatever, you know. Uh, let me read another verse of scripture to you here. Let's see, that's the one in Daniel. I read the one in, uh, let, me, uh, let me go to this one. This is to Abraham. This is where Abraham was visited by God and two angels. They came to his house one day as men. One was God and the other were two angels. And they came to Abraham's house just like men walking down the street. And he invited them in, fixed a big feast for them. They had dinner. And in the course of their conversation, Abraham picked up that these were more than just men. And then they went out walking. Here's what the scripture says here in 1816. And the men rose up from thence and looked, men meaning God and the two angels, and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. That is, walk down the road away is with them, make sure they get on the road okay. Verse 17, and the Lord said, L-O-R-D, all capital letter means God. This is Jehovah God. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham? He's talking to the other two angels. Shall I hide from Abraham the things which I do? 
In other words, he said, I'm not going to hide from Abraham what I'm fixing to do here. Isn't that wonderful that God will share with us things that he will do? Just like Joseph said to that Pharaoh, God's going to show you what he's fixing to do. Not because Pharaoh was such a great guy, because Joseph was such a great guy. And a Christian, I mean, a child of God, I should say at that point. Now, let me finish reading here. He says here, verse 18, I'm reading 18, 18. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nation of the earth shall be blessed in him. For Verse 19, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they will keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken unto him. In other words, all the promises he had. And then verse 20, and the Lord said, behold, the city, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And because their sin is very grievous. And then verse 22, skipping down there. And the men turned their faces thence and went and uh, went towards Sodom. That's the two angels. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And you know the story about how he bargained the Lord. Lord, if there's 10 righteous in the city, will you spare the city? You know, there's 50, there's 40, 30. And he finally got down to 10. And he wouldn't push it any further. He said, if there's 10 righteous, we, and the Lord said, if there's 10 righteous in the city, I'll spare it. But they didn't spare it. So that wasn't 10. That was Lot and his wife and, and, and the two daughters. And that was it. And they got out. But Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt and she looked back. Her heart was back there. Now, I'm just pointing out to you here that the Lord said, I'm not going to hide from Abraham what I'm about to do. And the Bible says Abraham was called a friend of God. Let me show you a verse of scripture in the New Testament. And I know my time is gone. Let me show you one verse here in John. This is for you and me now. This is in John 15, 15. Verse 15, 14, John 15, 14. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And just like Abraham was called a friend of God, Jesus says now to his disciples, ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And then he says in verse 15, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my father I have made known unto you. You see what I'm talking about? And then there was back over here in Matthew. I'm going to read one other verse and I'm all through here. My time is gone. This is Matthew 13, 10. Then the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them, that is the multitude, in parables? Verse 11, he said unto them, unto his disciples now, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. And I'm trying to tell you here today, folks, oh, what a blessing it is to serve God, to know the Lord. Don't, don't be a distant Christian. Don't be a distant child of God. I'm just trying to tell us all, get close to God. Develop a prayer life with the Lord. Develop a Bible reading time with the Lord. I know we're all busy people, but I'm just trying to tell you, we don't know what may happen at any time, any place. All kind of crazy things are developing in the world. If you think that we're going to be in a good, strong, solid nation, you know, all the days of our life, it may not be that way. But I'm just telling you one thing, that the Lord will let his people know if we remain his people and if we'll commit ourselves to be his people. The Lord will not fail us, but he'll be with us, praise the Lord, and he will keep his hand on us. Amen. Let's stand together and let's just praise God and worship him. Let's thank him today and ask him to bless all of our, all of our services and everything here today. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord. You're so good. You're so great. You're so wonderful.
Bless our service coming up, Lord. Bless the speaker. We ask you, God, to bless your word. In the name of Jesus, we love you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.